Hello and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Chris Marhefka facilitates transformation by opening hearts, expanding minds, and giving people permission to be their most authentic self. Chris is the CEO and facilitator at Training Camp for the Soul and the founder and facilitator of the Embodied Man Community and Retreats. He creates life-changing experiences in emotional healing, inner child work, somatic experience, breath work, masculine embodiment, relationship and communication coaching, and leadership mentoring. He came into this healing work after over a decade in entrepreneurship. Having done countless programs and reading hundreds of personal development books, Chris kept running into the same challenges showing up in his life. It wasn't until he found Training Camp for the Soul and did the program for himself that he was able to truly transform his life by going deeper. The healing work Chris focuses on is a combination of breath, energy work, mindset, and other modalities to get deeper into the subconscious and heal at the root of the issue. Chris, it's an absolute honor to welcome you to Boundless Body Radio. Thank you so much for having me, Casey. I'm excited. It's a total honor. Um, As we were chatting before this, we had our video on and I got to see your hair. Dude, you have a mane of hair. You need to be a (laughs) hockey player. We call that flow. You can't be any good of a hockey player without sick flow and you have sick flow, buddy. (laughs) Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. How long have you been working on that? Man, you know, it's funny. I uh, lived my entire adult life with short hair up until uh, about... 2000 late 2019 um and then you know i it it went with the life change i i hit the road i was nomadic in 2019 and just part laziness part just not having uh like a a barber to cut my hair it just started growing and um i just kept letting it go (laughs) i love it so you were like fully set up for the pandemic when it rolled in Yeah. You know, I, I'm very grateful that I, 2019 was like my year of growth. It was by far the most most challenging yet fun year of my life and all everything rolled into one and coming into 2020, I was solid in, in, in many ways. And so I'm, I'm fortunate that I was maybe like a year ahead of most people in, in their like meeting their edges. So um, and I think maybe by design, cause I do this work and I support people through a lot of what they're going through right now. So it was almost like I had to, I had to be a, a little bit ahead so I could be ready for what 2020 threw at us. Jeez. Well, thanks for telling the rest of us. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, a very interesting subject matter that you decided to throw yourself into. And I, I have to say, like, it feels a little bit weird. We're having a conversation around masculinity. And for me, I as we were setting this up, I had a bit of resistance to this. It feels a little weird to be talking about masculinity. Why do you think that is? Oh, there's a lot of cultural misunderstandings of just the idea of masculinity. There's a lot of, um, there's, there's just a lot that it gets mixed up in. It's kind of a muddy, a muddy topic in itself. It's a muddy word, uh, because people bring in, um, the conversation of, of, of biology. They bring in the conversation of like genetic, uh, male, female, transgender, they bring in what they know about um, like men showing up in a certain way in the world and it being unhealthy or healthy. And so there's a lot of labels that gets thrown around. It just gets mixed up a lot. And honestly, uh, part of 
what I love doing is clearing those waters just a little bit for people so that they can just understand the levels uh, of that conversation and then also have a little bit more understanding of um, both men in general and then also just the energy of the masculine and what that actually means. Mm. That's really well explained. I definitely want to be doing a deep dive into that. Um, I think to understand how you got into it, we need to understand a bit about your personal story. Did you always, did you always know that being an entrepreneur was something you wanted to do? You know, as I look back, and it's so easy to see when you look back, um, I, I always had a sense of desire to work for myself. I was a bit of a, a rebel renegade, uh, like a very quiet or subtle rebel, rebel renegade, where I always was interested in writing my own rules and living life on my terms. Now, that bumped up against what I learned in, from my parents and my family. Um, I was the first entrepreneur of my entire extended family on both sides. And so we're talking about lots of people, uh, lots of family. And so it was definitely outside of the box to go that route. I mean, I was taught the way that a lot of people were taught to, to get the good grades, go to a good college, get good grades there, get a good job, high paying job, and then work your way up that corporate ladder. And, you know, I had a very short stint in that where I went to school for finance um, and business, but I also got this minor in entrepreneurship. Um, and that was, uh, it, I was always interested in it. They were my favorite classes, but there was still some block. Once I graduated, I did go into, I went into the finance world and I had a short stint there where I, where I, I tried, I, I tried to play out that script that was handed to me and right away, like almost instantly, I knew it wasn't for me. And so I didn't know what was for me, but what I did know what, what, wasn't working. <laughs> and so that led me down a journey of, of quitting that job in finance. I, I traveled for a little bit and that just, I, you know, I stumbled into my first business. My first business, I was just, um, I was a personal trainer and I was deeply interested in the body and training and um, helping people in that way. And I never believed it to be a career. It almost was something that I did like in my mind was to, to kill time until the real thing showed up. And that honestly turned out to be my first business. Uh, I grew uh, and owned that gym for over 10 years and um, loved every, every bit of it. And that's when I started to understand uh, what entrepreneurship actually was versus what it was sold, <laughs> sold on... Um, uh, it wasn't even social media back then, but just like the idea of entrepreneurship being this like glorious, like, like writing your own rules, living your life. And it was that, but it was also a lot of hard work. And it was a lot of learning to own my own decisions, decide what was best for me. And um, I, I think that that it was in some way always ingrained in me, but I had to find it on my own timeline. Yeah, that's so interesting. One of my favorite lessons from apparently one of your neighbors down there somewhere in Austin, uh, Matthew McConaughey in his book, Green Lights, he talks about mm. how a way to find your identity is finding what your identity is not. And that can help you understand and see who you truly are. But it takes a few failures or trying a few things to be able to figure out, wait, I don't like this. Um, and that can kind of push you along your path. 
Yeah. And, and, you know, um, I, I fully much agree with that. And it's actually a lot of the work that I do today is helping remove the layers for people that, that, that is not them so that we can get closer to the, what is them. And I, um, call it fortunate, uh, whatever we want to call it lucky. I had my twenties was that it was like stumbling around, figuring things out. It was trying things. It was, it was bumping into things and learning from that. Unfortunately, I, I think a lot of people miss that at the time when we're almost designed to do that in, in like our, our teen years, our, our twenties, our early twenties. And by the time we hit 30, like you you have a lot of world experience that you can start to now um, put a little direction into what your life is going to be, even though like, it's almost silly. Like looking back, I'm only 35 and looking back at where I was at 30, not even close to what I imagined, but, um, I was, uh, I had enough experience that where I felt more stable at 30 mm-hmm. and a lot of people don't give themselves permission to have that. It's a very serious world we live in where you like you, we ask kids that are five years old, what they want to be when they grow up. And I remember going to college in orientation and them like forcing you to set a major for the rest of your life. Like this is going to be a career for the rest of your life. Okay. You're 18 now, now decide it right now. And it's just, in my opinion, it's um, it can be useful to have direction, but the finality of like the, 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 concreteness of it is, is the part that I think holds people back. Um, it's this thought that just because I went down this road, I, I have sunk costs and I have to continue living my life in this way or in this career, just because I said I wanted to do it a year ago or 10 years ago. And it's not accurate at all, but we're taught to believe that. Yeah. Interesting. It's like how they continue to pour money into, um, building the Concorde jet when it was clearly a failure, but they were so far down the line. They just had to keep dumping money into it. Interesting. Well, you mentioned thirties and it's, it's funny because that that's when it hit me. Somebody gave me my very first um, personal development book, which was the four agreements. I couldn't understand a goddamn thing in that thing. It was completely (laughs) like, what is this guy talking about? But that kind of put me on the path and and you're right. It seems to happen for a lot of people in their thirties, but yours happened on the day that you turned 30. (laughs) Yeah, man. <laughs> what was you know, that I, like? I, yeah, you know, I I see now, like looking back, and I, I see so many more opportunities than I did before to like shift and change and 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 observe our life. But back then, you know, um, I wasn't. I I was more of like the way I describe it is I had my head down. I had my head down for most of my life, and I was just doing what I thought I was supposed to do. Um, but there's something about like the turning, the turning of the year, the turning of your age, the turning of some uh, transition in your life that I think we just naturally start to reflect. And what what I used to do, my habit was I, I was born in December. And so it was always like a really good time for me to think about the upcoming year, to reflect on the past year. And because um, it always like really overlapped with the new year too. So I would always sit down and I, w- I would review the goals that I had set, which ones I hit, which ones I missed, uh, were those actually important to me? What are what are the goals I want to set for the following year? And this was just a practice that I developed soon after college. And um, I remember this process of sitting down at 30 years old um, on my birthday and 
I had checked all of the boxes of what I said that I wanted to do in my life by the time I was 30. And I felt like I was ahead of schedule in so many ways. I mean, I, I, was, I was married. I had just gotten married a few months before my 30th birthday, which was something I said, I, a goal I had set 10 years earlier. Um, I had two successful businesses. Financially, I was doing really well. I built a community. I had a lot of friends. I had the house. I had invested in some real estate. And it was just like this moment where um, I looked back at every spreadsheet and it was like, yep, box checked, box checked, box checked. And there was this question that was like, is this it? Am I just going to keep doing this every year where I set the goal, I achieve the goal, and I'm here again the next year? Um, part of that for me was like not knowing how to celebrate and really be grateful for what I did have. So that was a part that I, I, I didn't have. Um, but it was also that I found that I was just setting goals based on what I thought sh- I should be doing. The word should always came up in these goal, s- goal setting sessions. So like, okay, well, I, I should be doing this because this is the next step that people tell you you're supposed to do. Um, and that's how most of my life looked to that point. And, and you know, nothing necessarily like majorly changed around 30, like on that day. I didn't like make this massive decision to change my life, but it was almost like I was starting to see my life in a different light. It was, um, it was a new perspective where I was almost ready for something more. And the more wasn't material. It wasn't another zero in my bank account or setting another just surface level goal and hitting it. It was this drive for more fulfillment in my life, more, more, more joy and happiness, more love, more connection in my relationships. And um, those may not have been the words I would use then, but it was like the sense for something deeper in life. Mm. And that's when it really, it really hit me of like this desire for something deeper. Interesting. So it's not that you weren't successful at what you set out to do. You were actually really successful at what you set out to yeah. do. So I'm curious, as you had to reframe what that word even means, where did you land on, on what you consider successful after going through that, that type of transformation? Yeah, where I sit today is um, success for me means how many moments of my life am I actually present for? And the more moments I'm present for in my life, the higher my, the, I imagine my degree of success. When I'm present, I'm intentional. When I'm intentional, I'm following what my heart actually wants in this life. And when I follow what my heart actually wants, I realize that I actually, quote unquote, achieve more of what I deeply want in a year than I did in my first 30 years of life. Um, I create the life that I actually want when I'm intentional, when I'm present. And so that is my gauge. Um, and, and with that comes, I mean, I, I've actually come back to things like goal setting. I rejected them for a little bit. And I can tell that part of the story as well, that stage of the journey. But I've actually come back to them. And so now I'm setting more goals again. But it's a different process. The energy behind it is an is an energy of like creation and thriving rather than just 
surviving or just checking the box of the next thing. Head down, working hard. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I would love to go along that journey. It's interesting to kind of see the Delta, you know, that day and having that epiphany versus where you are today. And so what things did you, you know, kind of try along the way that you thought would really help you and maybe didn't? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and up until that point, I had done a, a lot of um, information gathering type of personal development. It's a very uh, predictable stage of development where you're just consuming information and you're just getting all these different perspectives. And I listened to hundreds of podcasts. I read hundreds of books on in in one year alone, I actually read a hundred books. And I wouldn't advise that because I didn't actually learn anything because I was just <laughs> I was I was consumed with. Uh, information. I was I was overwhelmed with it, and so um, I was in that stage. And I realized somewhere around that same time that it wasn't actually about more information because I was doing all this information gathering, and my life wasn't actually looking differently. Um, and so, some of the things that I started to do more of during that time in my life was uh, slow down and check out. Uh, check out intentionally from my day-to-day life. Um, Like we were just talking about up until 30, my head was down. I wasn't looking anywhere, but just like working hard, working hard, working hard, next goal, next, next number. And then I started to slow down. I spent a little bit more time taking walks in nature. I spent more time journaling. I spent more time at least back then it was trying to meditate and trying to slow down. I I had gotten into breath work and I was doing more breath work and all of those things. Every time I did those practices, I would have more clarity and I would have less anxiety and less stress about my life. Mm. And I, I was doing those during this period of time. What it did for me was it made it really clear what wasn't working for me or what was out of alignment at that time, my ego was so strong that the ego still hung on to those things. But now I was having more awareness of those things weren't actually for me. So it started to create more and more internal conflict. So going back to my 30th birthday, I felt generally good about my life. But as I went every day after that, and I had more awareness, I had more, um, more um, desire to do something that I really wanted to do. It was almost like um, there was a, there was a gap between the life I was living and the life I knew I wanted to live. And so, the more that gap widened, the more internal discomfort there was. And so I went through a period of about two years from 30 to 32, where there was a lot of internal conflict because it was that, which I just, just described, but it was also this question of like, what's wrong with me? Because I have all the things I, I, like I said, I felt good about my life, but I wasn't fulfilled. And so this question of like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Like, why am I not happy? Why am I this? And a lot of why questions were coming up during that time, which led to a lot of frustration, a lot of internal struggle, a lot of conflict, this battle back and forth between my head and my heart. Um, And it led to what I refer to now as two years of self-sabotage to where I started to unconsciously start to break the things in my life 
that had got me to that point, but I wasn't necessarily ready to keep doing. Mm. Yeah, that's really well explained. I, it, it's interesting what you mentioned before. I think it's a Taoist saying that says, knowledge is gaining, wisdom is losing. And it's like you spend the first half of your life consuming information before you realize, like, I, I've got some knowledge maybe, but like, I'm not, I'm not wise. I'm not gaining the experience because I'm just consuming and consuming. And it's interesting, like the self-help world can kind of get that way. Like, I remember like you find the one book and it makes you feel good. So then you get out and find two more and then two more and then two more. And all of a sudden you're studying like everything in that world and almost like really sucks you in without you having to really do the tough work of confronting yourself. Yeah. I, I, I actually have a term for that. I, I coin it the, the downward awareness cycle mm. or the, or the downward awareness spiral. Cause it sometimes feels like you're spiraling down. And it's this idea that like, like you said, there's something um, about your life that you want to improve. So you pick up a book or you learn something and there's this immediate hit of relief because it's like, oh, I'm doing something about this. I'm learning more about this. I can explain what I'm going through in, in better terms. I can put a label on it. So you get this sense of immediate relief and then you go on with your life and nothing actually changes or transforms in your life. So like what happened with me and what I witnessed happened with a lot of people, there's some level of internal conflict or frustration. You're like, Hey, I know more about this thing. Why is my life not different? And so you almost start spiraling down. So you pick up another book and you learn something else. Uh, maybe you put um, a practice in place or, or you take a seminar and you learn more. And there's another immediate hit of relief. You're like, okay, good. I'm doing something about it. And then you get more frustration. It's like this, the more awareness you, you get and you're building, but if nothing changes, it can actually feel really terrible. Because uh, you're like, hey, I have this desire and I'm actually doing work towards this thing, but my life isn't any different. What the hell? Mm. It shouldn't be this way. And so a lot of people can get caught in that downward awareness spiral and they just keep consuming and consuming knowledge. Um, and so that's why I'm passionate about what I do today because it teaches people how to integrate anything that you actually learn. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a system, it's a practice, but um, a lot of people aren't taught that practice of like how to actually shift the identity, how to actually shift your life. Yeah, I love that. I certainly got sucked into that. I, I will definitely call it a spiral. Um, it took a while to, to pull out of it. Um, you mentioned, you know, doing the work you do now. When did breath work become a bigger piece of the puzzle for you? And when did you find the training camp of the soul? Yeah. Um, I got into to breath work many years ago, about eight years ago or so. Um, I like to say before it was cool and, um, it was, um, it was just something, uh, actually a close friend of mine, my, my backpacking partner, we used to go out on backpacking trips and it's what we do. We just sit in the mountains, we would do some breath work and it was the most peaceful time in my life during those times of, of high stress. I would look forward to those trips for, for months and months. And we would just sit out there and we would breathe. And I would just find myself just watching nature and just slowing my nervous system down. And I didn't really know what I was doing back then. I maybe watched a few YouTube videos or something. Um, and then I started to, to dive deeper and deeper into it. Uh, from a performance standpoint, because I was a competitive athlete back then, and I was learning about breath to improve my performance, and I just noticed I, there was this like very clear 
difference in my state when I did the breath work than when I just lived my normal head down suffering work hard life. And so I found myself doing it more and more. Um, but I never really made the connection besides like, this just makes me feel good to like, how does this actually improve my life until I started doing this um, work with training camp for the soul. I got introduced to the founder back in 2018. Um, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Mike, he had just gone through the program and I met him at a business conference and we were, we were talking business and strategy. And at the time I was scaling this company nationwide and I was like all consumed with this like scaling mindset. And he looks at me and he's like, look, I mean, we can have this conversation all day long about business and strategy, but he's like, you clearly get it. He's like, that's not the problem. He's like, you're, you're literally in your own way. Uh, and and then it hit me really hard. And he's like, you know, he's like, I can say that with compassion because I'm exactly where you were six months ago. And then I did this program. I see life so differently. And um, that that sunk somewhere in, but I still had a lot of resistance. So I spent six months resisting and then finally got on the phone with the founder, uh, who's now my business partner. And we we spoke and I was still resisting, still resisting. What happened though is my wife at the time, she was also on that phone call and she was a full yes. She ended up doing the program before me and I started to witness all of her changes. I started to witness how happy she was and, and how she was showing up differently and, and, and asking for what she needed and for what she wanted and like living just a better life. And I wanted that. And so I got back on the phone with a knot and uh, we had a second call. And then I finally, after... Um, hitting my emotional rock bottom, I decided, I was like, okay, I'm ready to actually receive support. Up until that point, I believed I was the smartest person in the room and I was always going to solve my own problems. Um, that's a dangerous, dangerous belief system. Um, and and uh, I finally was like, okay, maybe I'm ready to just let someone in a little bit, let someone help me out. And it was by far the best decision I ever made. Wow. Um, I, yeah, I did the program for myself as a client in January, uh, 2019. Wow. I mean, what a, what an amazing gift. Um, I, I understand it's your ex-wife currently. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, what, absolutely. What, what an amazing gift for her to just, just give you the space to, to come to those things on your own time. And I just wonder for as much as we think we know everything and like, we're trying to like share information around everywhere. I wonder if the best thing we can really do with our lives is just have amazing kick-ass lives and anybody who wants to come along with us, give them space to be able to do so rather than try to force, you know, what, what our thoughts are on, on people all the time, you know? Yeah. You know, it's, it's a very freeing way to live life. You honestly, you let go of a lot of judgments of other people and like how they're living their life. Mm. A lot of compassion floods in because you realize everyone's just on their own journey and they're going to come to whatever they need to come to when they need to come to. It. And just because I believe I see something that I believe is better for them doesn't actually mean that it is. And so, um, that's like a really big step, especially stepping into a, the role of facilitator, oftentimes, like especially early when I was when I was training and when I was uh, early as a facilitator, it was like I thought I knew what was best for everyone. And again, dangerous. I thought I was the smartest man in the room type of syndrome. And really, 
once I started letting go of that, people people developed in the pace and the way that was best for them when they needed to. Mm. Um, and it's always more lasting when that happens. There's less resistance. It's easier. And, um, and it's true. It's true. We all, where there's what, 7 billion plus people on this planet. And that's 7 billion unique lives with unique experiences and unique journeys that they're on. It's insane for us to believe that anyone's life is going to look like ours. Yeah. Wow. So you just like the program so much, you decided to get more and more involved with it until um, you're, it's your company, basically. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah. You, you know, all of that was very unintentional. I was just, it, it, I was at a point of what I would call like surrender and letting go of needing to know. And so I would just start doing things that felt really good. Is like, this feels aligned for me. So I'm going to do it, even if it doesn't make sense to my logical mind. And I'll give an example of that. The reason why I started getting involved was um, uh, Anat, the founder, she was running these small in-person retreats and she was having um, past clients come and volunteer to like just cook the meals. It was very small, um, like a very in, more informal type setting and retreat. Um, but uh, she invited me right after I graduated the virtual program. And I was like, I don't know why I have, I'm running two businesses right now. I'm trying to scale this business nationwide. I'm working like 80, hundred hour work weeks. But for some reason, I feel the need to take a week off to go volunteer in the kitchen to make people food. <laughs> it didn't make any logical sense at all, but like everything in me was like a full yes. So like, I didn't even think twice. I was like, yeah, absolutely. And I did that. And then uh, apparently not only um, was I amazing chef, but it was just uh, like, it felt really natural for me to be there. My energy was really grounded. And so she asked me back again. And then a third time, and what I would do is I would start to like sneak into, I would finish up the kitchen duties and I would sneak into the room where they were facilitating. It was just like calling me and just the energy that I brought to that she finally was like, Hey, there's something here for you. And I would like for you to start mentoring with me and training to do this work. And so I spent uh, the next few retreats just by her side. We were co-facilitating together and I was learning. And, and those retreats, we were facilitating like 12 to 14 hours a day. Wow. And so I was getting, uh, it was, it was wild. And uh, I was getting a lot of practice and a lot of reps. And, um, yeah, what I what look again, looking back, um, I had been a coach for over 10 years. It was just a different content material. So I I was almost like discounting my previous life of being a personal trainer and being a coach and being a leader and an entrepreneur. But all of those things, I had sat face to face, one-to-one with thousands of people. I had coached so many people in group settings and one-on-one and all of that was, was building like my ability to hold space, my ability to show up for someone and um, to just get curious about them and to be there for them. And um, it was almost like when I started doing this work for training camp, all of that just seemed to click into place. And it was like, Oh, you've actually been doing this a really long time. This is just now a new content material that you're going to be doing it around. 
Um, so while I only started facilitating this work in late 2019, I've been coaching for now it's 13 years. So it's like, yeah, I've had a lot of reps doing this. Mm. That's a great way to think about it. We, you're right. We so easily put things in a certain box and think that our nuance in, in certain areas won't help us along the way, but they absolutely do. And that's part of what makes us so unique and individualized. I'm curious, you do some retreats around specifically, you know, men, masculinity, and also with couples. When, when did you start to take such an interest in men and masculinity in, in particular? Yeah. Um, it, it, it always seemed to make sense for me, the, the male development process. I don't know if it was like, I had the very like cliche upbringing and um, I didn't have very many good like models that I would consider like healthy masculine leaders. Um, I had very kind and, and loving men in my life, but no one that really like embodied what I desired to be in a man. And so I started seeking models and, and I started studying it. I started, um, again, getting into some knowledge building with, um, like Alison Armstrong's work was really impactful for me and, and David data's work. And, um, and I, and I started learning about it and everything that I read, it intuitively already made sense. Like that knowledge was already there. And that was something clicked for me there. It was like, oh, I just understand men. And I realized like when I facilitate them, I understand a lot of the challenges. And the way it came about was um, when uh, in, in 2020, when the world changed, one thing that I started receiving a lot of was a lot of messages from men and it was around the time, like I said, I was feeling really solid and stable in myself because I had spent the last year like doing a lot of deep work. And so I was feeling really solid and stable. And so I was showing up in a solid and stable way, despite the world around me. And I was getting a lot of messages from men saying like, hey, how are you doing this? Like, I'm, like, I'm feeling so, they wouldn't say this, but like contracted. They would, they would say like, shut down. Like, I don't know how to show up in the world right now. The world's a weird place. Like everyone's triggered about everything. Like, I don't know how to be a man right now. And I felt that pain. I felt every one of those messages. And I felt really called to midway through um, 2020, I hosted a very small, intimate, invite-only men's gathering and I, I, the guys I reached out to, I, I think I invited 20 men and, and, and I think almost all of them said yes. And, um, it was just this, um, I didn't know what I was going to do, but I said, and I even said that I said, guys, like, I don't know what this like quote unquote retreat is going to be, but I'm called to do this. And I think you should be there. And everyone showed up and it was one of the most transformational experiences for all of those men. I look at them now just a year later and the things they're doing in this world as a result of the courage that was cultivated from that week is, is like mind blowing. And I'll explain what I think part of it was. Um, there's the healing that happens when we're supported by others which is really valuable. And a lot of these men were, were, were already doing that to some level. 
what happened at this retreat, because I wasn't attached to being like the guy, the leader, like this is my retreat. I, I said, this is going to be a collaborative thing. What happened was each one of those guys, while they showed up and they weren't sure why they were there, um, they weren't sure, sure why they got invited. Everyone had this like complex, like I admire everyone here. And then what happened was throughout the week, they would show up, they would volunteer their gifts. They would show up for another man. And it was almost like there was healing done in them stepping into their gifts, stepping into their leadership, stepping into their power. And that was what all of them needed to go out into this chaotic world and show up the way that they desired to do. And it was almost like it gave them the permission and the courage to do so. And that I think is a very, very useful thing in the world that we're living in right now, because a lot of people are holding back out of fear. They're holding back from sharing their light, from sharing their love, from sharing their gift, from speaking out, from using their voice when they know it's right to do so. Mm. And yeah, so that's, that's how those came about. That's crazy. So are there other commonalities that you generally see with men um, when they get stuck, let's say? Yeah. One of the most universal with, with men, especially, um, but, it, but definitely for anyone is this not being able to ask for help, to ask for support. And for some people, it's some level of, they don't feel they're worthy or deserving of it. Um, some people believe that others are just more important than them. Like, oh, they've got other people to support. Like I'm doing okay. There's people that are worse off than me. There's that type of rationale, the story that people buy into. Um, there's also just the not knowing how to ask for support, not know, uh, not believing that um, they're worth anyone's time. Um, or, or like me, just believing that like, oh, I'll just come up with the answer myself. I'll figure it out myself. I'll just suck it up and like figure this out. Um, so yeah, I think that's one of the most universal ones that I see is this not being able to just say, Hey, I'm hurting right now. Or, or like I'm struggling and like, I could really use you. I could, I could use something, some help right now. Can you support me? Um, that is something I see a lot that keeps people from exactly what they know that they need or would help them. Wow. What other practices can we use to create what I I guess I would call like healthy masculinity? Yeah. Yeah. So the piece of advice that I give always, this is the number one. It's the, it's the starting place for everything is to slow down and to breathe. Um, This does countless things and I'll explain why this is important. When we slow down, even the pace of how fast, like how fast we move our body, think about the difference between rushing between one thing to the next and just slowing down and taking your time, slowing down your speech. Think about how, think about the difference between how you receive me when I'm talking like this or, or how you receive me when I'm talking like this. And I don't, it's a very different energy. Slowing down your breath, it down, it down regulates your nervous system. So you can be more present. 
you can be calm, you can be grounded, you can deal with what's actually happening in your life. And the other thing that slowing down does is it allows you to see what's actually happening with your external world and your internal world. So if, if I was driving down my neighborhood street right here, I may see like, oh, that's a house. It's got a blue roof. And then my eyes are back on the road. I'm like, okay, there's a dog walking. But like, if I were to walk slowly down that same street, I could see like the definition in the flowers on the side of the road. I could see like the, the nuance of the wood on that mailbox. You can just see so much more of life when you slow down. And the reason why we move fast is all conditioned. It's this belief that there's this imaginary timeline that we have to like keep up with, or there's some like urgency to get this next thing done. And it's, it's like the saying of, I think it was Abraham Lincoln, but like, if, if I was going to, maybe not, maybe I made that up, but if I was going to chop a tree down, I would spend the first three hours sharpening the ax and then you can actually effectively chop the tree down. But most people are going through life with a dull ax, just chipping away at everything and not getting anywhere. And so the slowing down is the sharpening the ax. It's the actually looking around and seeing, oh, what's the, what's the challenge that actually needs to be addressed here? How am I actually showing up in my relationship? How am I showing up in my day-to-day? And when that slowing down happens, you get so much data. You get to see differently. You get all of this. And then you can take action after that. Then you can put your head down and be like, okay, now I see what I need to do. Now I'm going to go do it. It's the, it's the never picking your head up that's the problem. And the, the slowing down is the metaphorical picking your head up and looking around. Wow. Um, I think that's the most valuable thing we can need. Uh, that we need right now, both individually and collectively. And, and here's why. There's a lot of things that are happening really fast in the world. And if we're just getting caught up in that, we're a part of the problem. If we're just putting our head down and we're going along and we're spiraling into whatever's happening in our world, we're not actually choosing. We're not choosing our life. We're not choosing with intention. And when we stop and we ground ourselves, we take some deep breaths, we not only are able to see better for ourselves, but we're, we're able to be a pillar. I, I call it big tree energy. You get to be a big tree for the people around you with deep roots rooted in the ground and solid, solid trunk, but with your leaves spread wide and open. You can be open and take on the winds of the storm because you have deep roots. It's the not being rooted part that I think a lot of people are missing. So that's what the slowing down and the breath does. And, and, and that gives you an opportunity to be a grounded, calm, present leader in whatever way that means. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's for just you. Maybe it's for your community or your business. Um, but it allows you to, it gives you an opportunity to be that. Whereas if you're just, if you're just sprinting through life, responding and being triggered, just like everyone else, you can't be a leader. You can't show up the way that a lot of people desire to. Um, and it's almost like you're getting caught up in the spiral of the world. Mm. Can you say all of that one more time? That was, 
<laughs> that was so good, dude. That was so very well explained. And you, you do notice that vortex just ripping around you. And I, I look back at my past life and I was fully a part of that. And it, it is amazing to see the richness and, and detail in the, the physical world, the spiritual world. That, that was just really so well explained. Um, I'm also curious, since you work a lot with relationships, as we're thinking about our own kind of masculine and feminine energy, um, you know, I follow a, a little bit of the work of like John Gray, who wrote Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. He wrote a great book called Con- Conscious Men. And it talks a lot about how if, if you're not properly balanced in your own personal life where you need to be, you're going to bring out a different side of your partner that you may or may not think is desirable. And, and that can cause a lot of friction. What have you noticed as far as men in particular stepping into their masculine energy and, and their relationships? Yeah. Love that question. I would say first, and this is what I preface all couples work or relationship work is that most challenges in a relationship between two people, any relationship, business partnership, romantic, sexual, whatever, most of these challenges are not actually relationship challenges. They are individual challenges that one of the two of you are bringing into the relationship or projecting onto the relationship. And so most of the time, at least initially, it's individual work that needs to be done. And for a lot of us, yeah, it's, it's getting more in tune with both our masculine and our feminine sides. This goes for everyone of, of, of any and all genders. Um, we all have it. They're naturally occurring in the universe. Uh, getting in touch with both of those energies um, and really checking in with which one do I need to bring in any given moment. Um, and, and being a balanced person doesn't mean that you're uh, neutral in masculine and feminine. It just means you can dip into each one whenever the situation needs it. It's like I, I explain it. Um, I like the words command and surrender, uh, the way I think about life and what, what's needed. The masculine is the command. It's the, it's the taking action. It's the telling the universe, telling the world what you want, what you're doing. This is the direction I'm going. It's very, it's penetrative by nature. It's like you're going out and you're doing the thing. The surrender is the leaning back. It's the opening up. It's the, it's the feeling, the nuances and the beauty of life and, and, and being able to observe what's, what's like needed in that moment, following your intuition. And so some people are spending all too much time in one of those. They're either laying back too much in life to where the signs are clear what they need to do and they're just not taking action. They're not commanding. Or they're like me where they were just overly commanding and they weren't actually paying attention to what life was telling them. And the head was down and they just kept going, kept pushing, kept pushing. And so the, the being balanced is, is checking in with yourself and saying like, oh, what do I need more of in my life right now? Oh, I've spent the last week and I've been a little lazy sitting on the couch, haven't worked out. I've been eating a little ice cream. Oh, I need to take some action. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clean up my diet. I'm going to throw this junk food out. I'm going to get myself into yoga tonight. I'm going to work out tomorrow, whatever it may be. Like That's an example of just checking in and being like, hey, which one do I need right now? Whereas maybe like, on the flip side of that, uh, like I was, I was training all day, every day. My body was broken. 
And it was telling me, it was screaming at me through numbers of injuries, slow down, rest, take care of your body, get a massage. And that was when I needed to embrace the feminine. It's okay to rest. It's okay to slow down. It's okay to, to recover. Um, and so I think that is, that's like the dynamic between the energies is, is what do I need more of? And when it comes to uh, us as humans, it is, it's so challenging because it's a dance and that demand of what's, what's called upon, which energy changes from moment to moment based on what the person in front of you is experiencing. And, um, the, the dance happens in real time. And so I, this is the, this is why, um, when I, when I talk about, and when I, uh, facilitate people in masculine and feminine, it's all about embodiment for me. It's about um, learning to be it rather than do it and think through it. There's a lot of um, talk in the, the masculine feminine world about like learning about masculine and feminine, what they are, what words do we put to it? That may have some use for some people, but is it actually practical in the world? And so I teach both how to embody the masculine, the container, the holding, the presence, the stillness, and then also the feminine, the, 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 the emotions, the chaos, the letting it all out, the being fully expressed. Um, and both of those are really important. And when you're in a relationship, it's important that you're understanding where your partner's at and what they need and also where you're at and what you need. Mm. Um, those are great examples. I really love that. I was a little bit curious. You would be the first, or the perfect person to ask this question to. But do you notice that when people are going through this process, doing a little bit more breath work, do you notice that their health improves, like things like their fitness or their nutrition, just kind of self corrects? Oh, it's it's unbelievable. <laughs> I come from the physiology world. I come from training. I come from like anatomy and and like understanding the body on the science side and like the stuff that I see doesn't make sense. Uh, like in, in that world, it's like people will drop 40 pounds just by like clearing their emotional baggage. They will, yeah, their bodies will heal injuries that they've had for decades. Um, there is such, uh, there's such a deep relationship between our emotions and our physical body, uh, from our, our, our mental, our thoughts and our body. And so when we start to dive into those things, um, the body responds, the body is just like the reflection of our internal world. So what our thoughts are and what our emotions and our beliefs are. And so when those start to change, the body just responds so amazingly. People will, will move better. They'll clear up the injuries. They'll reduce pain. Like we've had people, um, we had um, a veteran that I'm thinking of right now. He was a bomb tech and he had to wear hearing aids at 30 years old, 30, early thirties. Wow. And uh, his immediately, he kept having um, to turn them down. And then one day he realized like he had turned them down so much they weren't even on. And he's like, oh, I, this is months after doing our program. And he's like, oh, I actually don't need these anymore. His hearing improved, which they said was just like, for life. Like this is just what you're going to deal with now. 
We've had people, their eyesight's improved. They've cleared like allergies that they've had their whole life just by doing emotional healing work. And in my world, coming from the world that I came from before, like that shouldn't happen. Um, But yet it does. And it's only because back then I didn't understand the relationship of of the body and the mind and the the body and the emotions that I do now. Um, But yet there's so much research about it. Just which research are we paying attention to? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're not going to find any of that stuff in the personal training certification book I have right next to me. Nope. <laughs> it's not there. Nope. Yeah, it's not. so crazy. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. I just, I don't think you can ever fully separate the emotional from the physical, from the spiritual. They're all just seem to be so connected. And if you can put yourself, you know, we talked about like the downward spiral. If you can put yourself on the upward spiral somehow, you yep. normally are on the path and you, you were adding all those things all the time. Um, you just started a podcast not too long ago, um, the Fully Expressed podcast. Um, I think you've launched 11 episodes. I just listened to your last one. First of all, you're natural, dude. You're really good at hosting. You ask really great questions um, that evoke really interesting answers. So first of all, congratulations. I really appreciate that. And secondly, uh, I want to know, what is your why? Why are you doing a podcast and what are you hoping will happen from it? Yeah, thank you for asking that. This was this was the universe knocking at my door for for six months before I finally decided to do it. Um, and there's two there's two levels to the reason my why behind this. First is the like cognitive level, the thinking level. And at this level, I'm interested and passionate about interesting people that have very unique perspectives and can speak intelligently about their, their story and their experiences. And they can bring some, what I would call uh, fringe ideas more towards the center where people can receive them. The reason why I love that and I'm passionate about it because 99% of the life that I live today I would have said just three years ago was woo-woo or crazy or like not real or, or whatever. But it's been the things that have created the best life that I didn't even think was possible. And so there's a lot of fringe things that I grew up rejecting or not even being aware of. And so my intention is to bring some of these fringe things to the middle uh, or at least closer closer to the middle where someone who's seeking and searching for something in their life can latch onto that and be like, wow, I didn't even think about that because I just thought that was weird and no one talked about that. But look at these normal individuals and they're just here having this conversation about this thought thing, this weird thing. And they're talking about it so beautifully and positively, maybe I can at least crack the window open to this being a possibility for me. So that's the first level that I really love. And and it's funny because like the conversations I have on my podcast are the same conversations I have in my normal life, which people think is crazy, but I just, this is like, it's interesting to me. It's, it's exciting. And after (laughs) what really happened when I started recording was I had about three or four situations where I was talking with a friend, either in like the sauna or just going for a walk or just sitting uh, on the couch. And um, a few hours would go by and be like, 
wow, we should have been recording that. <laughs> like there's a lot there. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the, that's the thinking level, man. I love um, that. And then there's a, there's a deeper level. And this is, this is the real, the real deeper why for me is, um, introducing people to a realness, a, a genuine vulnerability in another human being that maybe they've haven't experienced in their entire life, like mm. a complete rawness and honesty and transparency that gives them some level of permission to, to do that, to be that in their life. And so my intention always, whether I'm hosting the show or I'm showing up on a podcast like this or on social media, is to be an example of just being honest and raw and vulnerable and like just telling it like as it's happening, even when it's messy and like getting into the things that are real human emotions and challenges because every single one of us on this planet are dealing with them. We're all dealing with the same human things. It's just they have different, they have different uh, stories. We're creating different stories about them. We're creating, there's different names or different faces, but we're all going through this internal battle. And none of us know anything about the internal battle that you're going through unless you let us in. And that letting us in is the vulnerability. And so I want to introduce people to that. Like this is what it means to be human is to like open those parts of yourself up, let other people see them, let other people into them. Um, and so that's my intention and, and the, what I'm bringing to the podcast. And that's, how, that's actually how it got its name fully expressed is just to express everything. Mm. What's there fully open. Yeah. I love that. You always ask your guests the same question after each episode. I'm going to take the question that you ask and blend it in with ours and just say, what is one simple tip you would like to leave with a listener about being more vulnerable? One simple tip. Um, the, the simple tip is to express something either to yourself or to another that is uncomfortable to do so. And it starts with something that may seem really silly. Um, but when you start, when you start training that muscle of sharing what's on your heart about sharing what's on your mind that muscle starts to get stronger and then you can go into deeper and deeper things that are really vulnerable to you. So share something today, either with yourself or with someone else that feels uncomfortable and, and do it despite the discomfort. That's, that's the real key is most people are living their life and choosing not to, to say things because they want to avoid a sensation in their body that they're calling discomfort or pain or anxiety. So, so, so say the thing, do the thing, speak the, speak the words that you want to speak in spite of the way you feel and, and, and feel it, feel it in your, feel the discomfort and say it anyway. 
and then see how that feels. What I can promise you is on the other side of sharing that, there's a lightness, there's a freeness, and it's always easier than we make it out to be in our head. Yeah, man, that's... (laughs) That's fantastic. And what an amazing way to end this conversation. Chris, this has been awesome. I, I had high expectations for this conversation and definitely even exceeded those. Tell our listeners where they can go to find you, find your work and connect with you. Awesome. Thank you, brother. And I appreciate that acknowledgement so much. Um, this is what I love to do, man. And I hope that this message touches at least some, some person, one person somewhere, and it supports you in your journey. Um, to find more about this, uh, about me, uh, follow me on Instagram at Chris Marhefka. I do a lot of lives. I put out videos and I engage with everyone who engages with me on there. It's me personally. I respond to DMS. Um, another good way to follow, uh, the work that I'm doing is training camp for the soul.com. Uh, that's uh, all the emotional healing and inner child work that we talked about, uh, the repatterning. And then lastly, if you want more of these long form conversations, I record, uh, I release a podcast every week on the Fully Expressed podcast. Awesome. And is that on all platforms? Oh, thank you for asking that. <laughs> um, it's actually currently on Spotify only, but that's going to change. Uh, we had a bunch of technical issues and I had someone helping me out and I've, I've since got a team that's really going to support me in getting this thing out to every, every single platform. So very soon it will be on all platforms, but right now it's only on Spotify. Thank you for asking. Excellent. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if you're the listener, just make sure that when it is out on Apple podcasts, you go over there, listen to his episodes and make sure you subscribe um, and leave a review. It really helps when you're just getting started. Chris Marhefka, CEO and facilitator at Training Camp for the Soul, founder and facilitator of Embodied Men uh, Community and Retreat. Thank you so much for everything you do for your work and for sharing those resources with the world and for, and for coming onto our show today to talk um, about this stuff. It's really important and it's something you're right. There's a lot of stigma and, and, you know, weird weirdness, I guess, around masculinity. And I, I certainly don't think there needs to be. And so we're just really grateful for everything you've done and for, um, sharing with us today. Uh, thank you, brother. And thank you for the platform to be able to share this Casey. And you're also very good at what you do. You're an outstanding host and I appreciate you having me on today. Oh man. Compliment. You're going to, you just earned yourself a second appearance whenever you like. (laughs) (laughs) Anytime. That's awesome. Well, thanks again. It was a real honor to talk with you today. Thank you. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio.